welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 93, a massive and epic 93. And as usual, I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and I'm joined by the man who's not just an outlier, but some might say he's a contender to. Uh, welcome back to the show, Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Mike Parsons. How are you doing on this fine Sydney day? Well, I'm doing fantastic and I think one of the reasons that I'm doing so well is that this Malcolm Gladwell series keeps on giving and I just can't believe how good each of his masterpieces really are. Each of his books have been a entree, main meal, dessert, all in one. Um, They have been wonderful and we haven't finished yet. Isn't it nuts that each of them just keeps on building on the last? We're actually jumping now into Malcolm Gladwell's fifth book, which is David and Goliath. And this book, I mean, this is one that really resets (laughs) your thinking. I think this might be one of the most moonshotty books (laughs) that we've actually covered, Mike. That's awesome. That's awesome. I I think you might be onto something and... What I like about Gladwell's work is not only can boy, can this guy tell a story, like so articulate, um, but he's always blending um, psychology, behavior, a dash of economics. Um, He's such an observant uh, guy and he comes with these really well-formed ideas. And what I like about his book, David and Goliath, is I think, as we've seen in the more recent episodes, there's really some challenging ideas. There's a little bit of uh, discomfort and because he's reframing our expectations and I think uh, David and Goliath really delivers on value um, and has some real punch to it, don't you think, Mark? Yeah, I do. And just to build on that, I think what's great about Gladwell's storytelling and the narrative that he, that he puts in is he really focuses on actionable things that we can begin doing from today. So, you know, for example, with outliers, it was changing our opinion, perhaps around how people become high achievers and why some others don't and how we can go after environment, upbringing, poverty, the way that we're born all towards being success. With David and Goliath, again, these are stories that we're going to hear in today's episode that ultimately help us learn new ways of thinking about adversity and going out and achieving the goals that we we might have, right? Mm. And I think it's more than just a concept of resilience, which is a theme, Mark, we've seen in the show a ton. I think this actually goes one step further, and I think that's the value I want to pitch to you and to the listeners, that what we have is not only a timely reminder of resilience and embracing adversity, but some real case studies on how this has actually led to real success, Mm -hmm. whether it's individuals uh, like Richard Branson or whether it's massive brands like Ikea, what we have the opportunity to do is to actually not only embrace difficulties, but actually to look for them because they can make us stronger. So this is really kind of touching upon themes we've had in Zaha Hadid, Um, Michelle Obama, you name it, these themes intersect with so many of the innovators that we've studied. And all in all, 
it is so powerful for the moment because it's essential that we find the tools to believe in ourselves, our friends, colleagues, and family in order to overcome whatever the world has to give. And in 2020, it's given us just a bit, hasn't it, Mark? Yeah, we've really had to have a new mindset of adversity, resilience, and so on. But I think, you know, what else he can teach us is taking more risks. So there's the safe side of being resilient and putting up a defense. But actually what I think we get out of David and Goliath is this perseverance to achieve your goal, shoot higher, Mm. keep on pushing. And it's quite um, an offensive approach at the same time as defensive, I'd say. Exactly. So why don't we get on the offensive and actually listen to uh, Gladwell? And we're going to start with just some notions of the book itself, but most importantly, let's get stuck into it. Let's delve into the idea of refusing to give up. I arrived at the book idea for the book because I had um, done this piece for the New Yorker some years ago called How David Beats Goliath about a, a guy out in California who coached his, his um, daughter's 12-year-old basketball team um, all the way to the national championships even though they were a group entirely without talent or skill. Um, And he did it by, for those of you who are basketball fans, by playing the full court press every minute of every game. A really, really, really radical form of the full court press, the most aggressive form you can. Um, And I I just thought that story was hilarious, Um, but also really interesting, because I loved the way in which uh, he refused to give up. So he had, here he was, he was a guy who knew nothing about basketball, coaching a team of girls without any obvious skills in the area. And the normal uh, response of people in those situations is either to say it's pointless and lose by 30 points a game, um, or to try desperately to play by the rules of everyone else, like to play the way everyone else is playing and try and catch up, which would be impossible in a season. Um, And he chose option C, which was to hell with it. Let's play in this way that's so deeply subversive that, you know, the other team isn't going to know what hit them. Um, and that, uh, that, just, that story just stayed with me, and I thought it would be really fun to write a book about those kinds of strategies. This idea of option C, as well as what Malcolm Gladwell calls the full court press, that's mm. really the focus, I think, of David and Goliath. It's not just about resilience, like we say, but it's all about applying an offensive nature to the defensive nature. You know, that's what the full court press is, is, is really about and as he digs into his book. And I think that's a really fascinating way to reframe our approach around difficult challenges, difficult mm-hmm. years, like you say, Mike. And, yeah. and I think that um, not only seeing the black and white, but actually being able to maybe look between the trees and find that additional option something that maybe mm. the others, the other competition, haven't mm. thought of. Mm. I mean, that's, that's an inno- innovative approach, right? It is, and it's, and it's um, this refusal to play a game that you know you can't win, but to play the games you can win. And I think that that is the, the starting of the, of the mindset, if you will. And then what's, what's interesting is as you start to decode this, what Gladwell has to offer us is actually – there, there is really a chance for any underdog to take on a giant, any 
uh, David can beat uh, Goliath. So let's actually go right into Gladwell again and let's get into some of the, the details on how underdogs really do have a chance against Giants. Well, Malcolm Gladwell garnered millions of fans by turning conventional wisdom on its head in his past books, Blink, Outliers, and The Tipping Point. And now he's at it again with a new book. It's out this month, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Malcolm, good morning. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. We all think we know the story of David and Goliath. We all thought it was David's faith in a miracle that helped him prevail. You see something different in that story. Well, the story is much more complicated and interesting. Um, I think we've underestimated, for example, just how powerful a sling is. Uh, the weapon that David chose is it's a devastating weapon. That, um, and also we also I I'm not going to give it away, but there's a, a secret to Goliath that many medical experts have been uh, speculating about in recent years. So I, I I start the book by retelling that story, and it makes you understand. Wait a minute, it's not this improbable victory by someone who a one in a million chance. Underdogs actually have a, a real chance against Goliath. If I could sum it up, I think that's the thrust of the book, that sometimes something that appears to be a disadvantage can be an advantage. And you give a lot of real-world examples of that. Can you give me, give me one right now? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I have chapters on um, education. Uh, I, talk, I have a big chapter on class size that says um, we have a, the conventional wisdom that says the smaller the class, the better it is for a child. And I said, that's true, but only up to a point. Um, when classes get too small, the effect starts to reverse, and your child may be worse off than they would have been otherwise. So there's a case where spending more and more and more money, hiring more and more teachers, doesn't always have the create the advantage that we think it's going to create. You have the theory of desirable difficulty and, and tell the st a couple of stories about people who suffered with dyslexia and went on to enormous success. Yeah, I mean, one of the fascinating facts about dyslexia is if you look at successful entrepreneurs and innovators, a hugely disproportionate number of them suffer from learning disabilities. So I sat down with all kinds of, of incredibly successful businessmen and just asked them about what did that mean? And, and they said they think that they succeeded, did as well as they did, not in spite of their disability, but because of it. That in learning to cope with it and work around it, they learned things they would never have otherwise um, have, have figured out. Well, it's a very interesting insight. It makes you look at difficulties you might encounter in your own life in a very different way. Malcolm Gladwell, it's always good to have you here. Thank you. Okay. The book, of course, is called David and Goliath. Hmm. We're going to dig into desirable difficulties later in the show, and I can't wait to, to get onto that topic. But actually, I, I, I think something that Gladwell says in that interview just then is it's not an improbable victory if you can see the mm. advantage that you uniquely have. So even mm. though it might seem like an impossible task going up against Goliath, remember that that Goliath won't have the same experience that you've had, and you might have an advantage within your experience, your past, your current makeup, your setup of the business that they won't have. And that reframing mm. your, your mindset towards that challenge is really, I think, the, the core of the David and Goliath book. It is. And, and what, what I hope um, we can all see here is that what Gladwell has opened up with so far in the show here is really making the case for having a different mindset. Don't give in, but rather 
Number one, have confidence in yourself. Believe in yourself that there's always an option C if you look at it the right way. There's always a slingshot for David if you have the right mindset. I mean, he talked about a team of girls that were not the tallest, fastest, and most athletic, but they played option C. They did the full court press. They didn't give the opposition time to showcase their skills. He talked about this disproportionate number of successful business folks and innovators are dyslexic. And here's the thing. If you can make the shift towards knowing that they succeeded not despite of it, but because of it, because it helped them be stronger, it helped them be more resilient and to be more flexible, more agile, then a world opens up and we are going to dive into that world uh, for the rest of the show. We're going to look at why adversity is so fundamental to our success. We're going to look at some successful case studies and we're going to reframe a couple couple of fundamental human beliefs. All of that in the next 50 minutes. Can you believe it, Mark? Oh, <laughs> wow. I feel as though time is the Goliath and we are David. But, you know, taking based, it on. Exactly. Based on Gladwell, I think we can do it, Mike. I totally do. But before we get into um, some wonderful insights around adversity, I tell you, uh, there were some folks that overcame adversity during the week. They gave us a ton of ratings, uh, a ton of reviews, and um, boy, are we happy to share that with uh, all of the listeners. So what have we got? So we've got a fantastic new review from our new friend in Canada who, <laughs> unsurprisingly, our listeners have the greatest usernames in the world. This is a personal shout out to Gravity Apples in Canada who left us a fantastic review. Thank you so much. We've seen going up in the charts, um, our listeners in Canada right now, and this is all down to you, Gravity Apples. By leaving us a review and a rating, you've helped spread the word in Canada. So greetings from Sydney all the way to Canada and especially to you, Gravity Apples. Thank you for leaving us a review. Yeah, so a big shout out and and please do take the time to give us a review or a rating because this is really how our new listeners come to join uh, our community, which is all about learning from innovators, unpacking um, fascinating folks like Malcolm Gladwell, diving into their work, and there's so much there. So we really do encourage you to share the show with your friends. Um, in the fact, Gravity Apples, this is uh, really cool, actually found us through the back catalogue and uh, it goes all the way back to our Frank Lloyd Wright episode, which is in the backlog. And so if you are tempted to check out our catalogue, we have over 90 shows you can go back and have a listen to. And Mark, I think the big question is, where should one go if I'm interested in this catalogue? Where, where, where? Well, you can start in one of two places. You can go to our online hub, our online repository and library, moonshots.io. That's where all of our archive shows are, all 92 before today's 93. You can find show notes and transcriptions for many, many of the shows. You can find some additional exciting third-party links that we've embedded in there, and you can even see a glimpse of what's to come. You can also find us in all of your podcasting softwares of choice. 
including iTunes and Spotify and Overcast and all of our favorite platforms. But you can also find us on all the social media channels. One that we uh, you might all enjoy is checking out our weekly mantras from some of our favorite innovators. So we really suggest mm. going to check us out, leave us a review, share with your friends, because we just love getting our process of learning out loud shared with the community. And with that, I think we've got a great clip to share with this great community of ours all across the globe. And we're going to start with this underlying platform, this idea that um, adversity is not something that you should run away with. Uh, It's not something that you should feel overwhelmed with. Because if you really get into Gladwell, if you have the mindset, this is the case he's making in David and Goliath. If you have the mindset, you can almost say to yourself, well, good, things are getting tough. I must be doing the right thing. So let's now dive into a world of embracing adversity with none other than Malcolm Gladwell. So there's this really interesting fact that a very large percentage, a much larger percentage of successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic than in the general population. And many of the Richard Branson, Paul Orfila, uh, Charles Schwab, uh, John Chambers at Cisco, I could go on, Craig McCaw, the cell phone pioneer, the list of, these guys are all dyslexic, right? David Nealman at JetBlue. And if you talk to them, they will explain to you that they don't think they succeeded in spite of their disability, they think they succeeded because of it. Um, For them, and if you want, and I sat down with two dozen of these guys, I got got sort of obsessed at the beginning of my book, in the middle of my book, with talking to dyslexic entrepreneurs. Um, And their stories are all the same. They all look back and will tell you, you know, if it hadn't have been for the fact that I couldn't read or read well in second and third and fourth grade, I would never have, and they start listing all the things they were forced to do that proved to be ultimately advantageous. I would never have learned how to listen. I would never have been forced, in second grade, I, I, was, I made friends with the smartest kid in the class and I basically convinced him to do my homework for me. I can't tell you how many times I heard that from this <laughs> So what are they learning at that age? They're learning delegation. They're learning how to communicate with other people, motivate other people, form a team. I mean, they, and they do that in, Brian Grazer, the Hollywood producer who's dyslexic, his whole thing was uh, he would, he figured out how, he would fail his tests, and he would go in and he would talk his grade up from a D to a C. So from the age of this high, he's learning negotiation, right? And by the end, by the time he hits college, he's brilliant at it. And then what does he do? He becomes a Hollywood producer. What is that about? It's about negotiation, among other things. And he's been practicing his entire life. So it's this sort of weird thing where he would say, as difficult as my dyslexia was, and for all of these people, their childhoods were not fun. I mean, I interviewed Gary Cohn, who's the president of Goldman, who's profoundly dyslexic. His childhood just sounds, I mean, dark and miserable. No one thought he was capable of doing schoolwork. They thought he was, they were amazed that he even graduated from high school. Um, despite that, they all look back and they say, you know what, it was a desirable difficulty. It was, I was taught, I was forced to learn stuff. I would never even have thought about. In order to learn the things that really need to be learned, we require a certain level of adversity. The trick is 
figuring out what that adversity ought to look like, right? And that's, like I said, something that's, that is a, can only be decided on a case-by-case basis. It's going to be different for you than it is for me. The list of names that Malcolm's dropped, even I in know. that clip, is, is astronomical. But when you dig into the book, his list includes Branson, Spielberg, Bill Gates, Winston Churchill, Einstein, Walt Disney, Steve Jobs. I mean, I could go on and on. We probably need a longer show, Mike, in order to, to do it. But it's a, it's a wonderful demonstration of Gladwell's personality. He really gets into it. And like he says, he spent so much time talking to these people. You can imagine him getting excited and animated and, and really digging into it. But the core is, is a lesson that I think we can all learn from. And that's thinking about what am I going to learn today? And mm. therefore reframing the fact that that's going to be um, a difficulty. You know, naturally people, um, I think, struggle perhaps with, with um, particular challenges. And actually one way of reframing a challenge is to think, okay, well, it doesn't matter whether this is unpleasant or not. As long as I'm learning something from it, this is an opportunity for me to get better. And I think having that, that amount of adversity that Gladwell's talking about here is, is something that we can try and reframe our minds around. Mm. Don't you think, Mike? Yes. And I think it, the, there's like a two-step process here. For me, it is one, knowing uh, that when it starts to hurt, when you're sensing adversity, anxiety or challenge in order to do something that really matters, you know, fulfilling your work, uh, your career, uh, pursuits in your spare time, whatever you're trying to build. Um, and I'll use the, the workout analogy. I think step one is like, Ooh, this workout is really tough. Um, it's hurting. It's, I'm struggling a bit, just know that that means that physically you are pushing your body and your body gets stronger the more you push it. And it is exactly the same in life. So I think we need to have this default tick. I feel the adversity. I must be doing the right thing. I think that's the first thing. I think that the second thing is to know that when adversity is coming your way, where either things are hard or maybe some things are going wrong, it then is the second step of what am I learning and how can I do it better? And I think that as we apply this to our craft, if we're one saying, oh, this is really hard, then we're not prepared to give up as quickly. And number two, as a mental model, say, okay, there's friction here. Is there something I can do better? So the question then becomes, what am I learning? Mm. And as you frame it like this in a two-step approach, one, great, it's hurting, and two, what am I learning? It means that you will get better. So the next time you try it, you do it better. And then you will encounter, if you just keep this whole David and Goliath philosophy going, you will find that you will get challenges in different places but you will become more and more complete over time. And this is, for me, this is the framework that we can take from Malcolm Gladwell in his book, David and Goliath, and that we can apply to our own life. So let me pitch it to you, Mark. One, yes, good, it's hurting. I know I must be doing the right thing. And two, what am I learning and what will I do next 
as a framework, I think this is how we grow. And I think this is how we can stay true to this idea in David and Goliath. Oh, absolutely. And I think to build on that, and I think to, to connect us to the next clip that we've got, I think what Gladwell's also calling out in, in the, the clip we've just heard is that each challenge is going to be different from me to you. Some things for you, you might not find them so stressful. And that's possibly because of your experience, because maybe you've um, already overcome that challenge in your past. And now it's my turn to go through that process and learn how to respond to it. So in this next clip we've got is hearing again from Gladwell, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the art of battling giants, as he says, and how challenges actually help us to become the best versions of ourselves. This is what these disabilities are doing, is that among those who manage to do well with them, is that they are, it's they're, they're, they are forms of radical differentiation. And yeah. In any competitive environment, the person who has a rare set of gifts is going to have a leg up, and that's what's happening. Um, it's a, an intriguing. I raised the question in that chapter about whether you would wish dyslexia yes, on a child. Yes, on child, yeah. And I, if I could, if I knew that my child had an above-average IQ uh, and was otherwise unencumbered with various. I would. I actually would say, yeah. Why not? Do you think if you have you then planned to have that dyslexic child and you, and you got one, uh, and then you and then you did all sorts of things to yeah. help help out that child not experience all the negatives of the sort that you describe boys yeah. having having ex, uh, do you experience. disable the advantage yeah. You, yeah. yeah no you kids got to suffer you can't <laughs> you can't the I, suffering I, is the I, whole that's point what, that's what i was, right? I was assuming so there the, that you'd go there i was talking about to one of the dyslexics i talked to is the hollywood producer brian grazer who's a totally miserable childhood because every single morning before he goes to school he wakes up in a cold sweat because he He's a very anxious guy anyway, and he can't read. And so he, he compensates by, by about the third grade, by about grade three, he figures out that he can, talk, he can talk his way. After the fact, after the test is over, he's failed. He figures out he can go to the teacher and talk his way into a passing grade. And by, by the time he's in middle school, he's getting pretty good at this. And he says, by the time in, he's in high school, he's amazing. <laughs> he, he's absolute confidence he can talk his way. So what does he become? He becomes a producer. Right. And what is he famous for being? The most amazing negotiator known to man, right? Yes. So he doesn't get the, his whole thing is about negotiation. Yes. He's, he can talk his way out of any problem. He does not have that skill if we put him in a special school and teach him how to read at the age of two. He needs to, he needs to have trouble reading through high school in order to develop his, so you can't, we can't fix them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? Now, I realize I've described this horrible Darwinian universe, but, you know, I don't know. Do you want your kid to be a successful Hollywood producer or Larry Bird or Wayne Gretzky? You're not. I mean. <laughs> That's such a cheeky clip, isn't it, Mark? <laughs> cheeky is exactly the word. <laughs> it's really interesting that when you pursue where he was going there, he's really challenging us and saying, look, adversity is key to, to growing strength, inner strength, 
adversity is is key and 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 so the the host is saying well would you wish this upon your kids and actually if you just go with the thinking what you can see is how important it is to go out into the world and to have some wins and losses and if you use the the model that we were talking about that number 1 a it's getting tough. I'm facing adversity. I may be sensing anxiety or uncertainty. Good. That means I'm doing the right thing and I'm going to learn through the process as a second part. Then this really does help us become the best version of ourselves. And we're all familiar with the story of the helicopter parents preventing their child from facing any adversity. So once they fly the coop and go out into the world, they're hopeless. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because because they're facing adversity and crumbling. So what you can see here, there's a real argument for going out into the world, having some wins, having some losses. I think if we want to become the best version of ourselves, we have to remember that if we stick to it, that is a huge part of winning. And I think a technique for sticking with things is saying, it's okay, it's tough. It's okay. It's natural. Rather than some of our default can be to fight or flight, just say, pause, take a breath, and just embrace the uncertainty, embrace the adversity. And this is so fascinating, Mark, because we saw this, Joe Rogan and many, many, many others that we've uh, focused and featured on the Moonshots podcast. We continue to see that. Regardless of how you get through, getting through, being resilient and knowing that it's going to get rough on the ride and that's just part of the adventure. It seems like such an essential lesson to learn. It does. You're right. Joe Rogan was talking about as well. Um, you know, remember, I'm, I'm even reminded of Michael, Jack, uh, Michael Jordan telling us oh. that he was, he'd practice again and again and again and again, so much so that when he went up against the competition, there was nothing that he hadn't practiced. So even though he was suffering and getting exhausted in the practice and his teammates would be saying, come on, give us a break, that suffering was the whole point. They Mm -hmm. needed to have that trouble, that challenge, that adversity in order to go out and be successful and to go and, and have those losses enable them to go out and actually have those wins on the court. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 um it's keeps coming back time and time again as this underlying formula for us uh, to really bring our dreams to life, to build products, to build careers, to build communities, whatever it is, whatever the craft uh, or the challenge that you're taking on, uh, sticking with it and knowing that no matter how big the mountain is to climb. You can actually do it. And I, honestly, I, I think sticking to it is like half the battle, mm. right? Regardless of your potential, regardless of anything else in the world, just stick with it. Nothing happens overnight. And that's, that's a, a, of course, another huge theme that we've seen is that the overnight sensation is such a fallacy in this world of get rich quick on YouTube and all these side hu- hustle um, propaganda. It is total crap. It is hard work. It's resilience. 
There are no shortcuts. We see it in every type of uh, pursuit, from the sporting field to the classroom to the uh, to the office. It's all about um, embracing this way of thinking. Mm. I, I loved. It reminds me of the one of the key lessons we found out in Outliers. The longer mm. you stick with it, stick with a problem, stick with a project or a challenge or a new business idea, the more likely others would have dropped out. So yes. you can stick so with it. just improving. Exactly. You're just improving while the others are leaning towards the flight aspect. When you're fighting for it, they're flying from it. And I think that's so true. Such All a big right. I, th- I think we've laid the foundation, don't you, man? Oh, I mean, already only halfway through and I'm feeling pretty inspired by Gladwell. Yeah. Now, as no doubt all of our listeners are feeling so excited now, they are embracing the adversity. They are really pushing themselves. We would encourage them to push themselves to open up their podcast app, hit one of the star rating buttons on the Moonshot podcast, or if you're feeling uh, rather tempted, uh, if you've got a dragon on wheels sort of moment, if you are feeling that uh, you've got gravity with your apples, get in there, wordsmith a review, share it with the people uh, who are out there that are keen to learn from innovators um, and just to pursue their dreams. We'd really appreciate any ratings or reviews because that's how we keep growing. That's how we keep sharing the message and learning out loud together. Oh, good stuff. And it really so, does make a difference, doesn't it, Mike? Gravity Apples in does. Canada, we've seen more listeners in Canada. So there's definitely, mm. it's, it's an undisputed fact. So please, mm. everybody go out and, and leave us a, even if it's a short review, that's fine by us. So Mark, as we jump into the second part of the show, we've just been talking about Canada, but I'm feeling sort of a little Scandinavian now. Where should we go next? Well, we've just heard Gladwell telling us a little bit about adversity and the, uh, the idea of going up against the giants. Well, let's continue that story. Let's now think about how you and I and our listeners can begin to reframe disadvantages for the better. And this first story that Gladwell digs into is uh, it's going to be a familiar brand for many of us, but it's a great demonstration of a business and a group of individuals having the courage to pursue their ideas rather than having to go with the approval of their peers. It's not enough to have a great idea and the focus and the conscientiousness to see it to fruition. You must have the strength and the resolve and the courage to pursue that idea even when the rest of the world thinks you're insane. Time and time again, if you look at the stories of extraordinarily uh, important entrepreneurs, there is almost always a moment when they are the only ones who believe in the value of what they're doing. You know, I tell in my book, the story of my book, David and Goliath, the story of um, Ingvar Kamprad, the guy who founds Ikea. And the crucial moment in the, in the story of Ikea is when he faces a boycott from the other furniture manufacturers in Sweden, and he's about to go out of business. And in desperation, he moves his operations across the Baltic Sea from Sweden to Poland and sets up shop in Poland. And that's what IKEA is. IKEA is essentially furniture ship flat made in Poland. That's the original elevator pitch for IKEA. What's interesting about that is he does it in 1961. 
at the height of the Cold War, at a time when East and West, communist world and free world are closer to outright war than at any other time in history. A guy living in the West, Sweden, crosses the pond to Poland, the Iron Curtain, and sets up shop. You cannot imagine what a controversial move that was. That's like, that would be like Walmart opening operations in North Korea. Literally, it's on that level of kind of eyebrow raising, you've got to be kidding me, who is this guy kind of thing. But he does it and he persists and he turns his back on all those critics. Why? Because he is a deeply disagreeable person. Didn't need people to agree with him, right? And that's how he's able to build IKEA into this extraordinary runaway success story. That's very hard to do. As human beings, we are hardwired to want the approval of our peers. Wow, what a story. Walmart opening in North Korea. That's what it was like back in the day for IKEA when they opened in Poland. I think it's such a great story that evokes so many parallels with Elon Musk writing the checks mm. of his last dollars for Tesla and SpaceX. Uh, you know, the story of um, Jeff Bezos uh, being so committed to this big vision and he talks about be stubborn on vision but flexible in how you get there. And that's where I see a big intersection between Gladwell and Bezos the, really the courage to pursue your idea. And if that means, you know, opening in North Korea or Poland, and then so be it. And I think this is why you see a circle starting to complete here, because as you've reframed your disadvantages, as you reframe the way you think and have a mindset of like, I'm pursuing my vision. If that means I need to go through adversity, through a valley of darkness to get there, then so be it. And what we see in their success is they're prepared to do it. They have the courage to stick with it. And what's so important is most people don't stick with it. And so finding that courage is essential. So my challenge for you, Mark, is when you're in a moment where you're like, oh, I've got to open up store in North Korea, when you have the equivalent of, oh, how do you find that determination? Uh, how do you how do you try to to face up to those things? Because it ain't easy. No, it's it's not easy, and I, I think it's still something I'm 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 working on. Uh, I think actually the Gladwell deep dive that we've done for the past month has actually helped me. It's illuminated a couple of new ways of reframing my um, natural response to things, which is often the flight aspect of fight or flight. Instead, and particularly with David and Goliath, um, this reframing of suffering, reframing suffering and thinking of it as a positive, I think is a pretty big one. So, you know, there's a popular uh, positive mindset behavior that you wake up and instead of, you know, thinking, oh, what a tough day ahead, or, oh, it's raining, I don't want to go for a run, or, oh, I don't want to check my emails. By waking up and thinking, okay, well, I wonder what challenge the day has in store for me today. Hmm. That's actually reframing that perhaps more negative leaning way that you might have had with regards to running in the rain. Instead, if you're thinking, oh, I wonder what challenge I've got today. Oh, it's raining. All right, I'm going to get wet. This is going to be fun. 
and try and yeah. just give it a little bit of a spin. It's something so mm. simple, but actually something that's so elegant that I think mm. for me, that's what I've tried to do, particularly through our Malcolm Gladwell deep dive in mm. try to look at occasional hiccups or speed bumps and think, oh, okay, well, this is just an opportunity to try something new, I guess, but it's mm. Am I right? <laughs> oh, you're so right. I, I, I was thinking to myself about, um, as you were, you were talking there, I'm like, well, what do I do like that um, to kind of reframe it? And uh, all these little reframing tactics I think are essential. Um, I think uh, a really, really novel uh, sort of a bit of an outlier idea is when I'm going up a mountain, when I'm running, I smile. Oh, no. <laughs> so I just focus. I, I realize sometimes when I come to these hills, I'm like, I wouldn't say I've got grumpy face. Maybe it is grumpy face, but it's certainly focused. Let's say that much. And so I'm like, well, why don't I just smile? And, and I think that there is all sorts of things like uh, just smile when you're going up the hill. It just re- re- helps you reframe um, a challenge that you're going through. Uh, have you ever tried the old smile while you run, Mark? Yeah, well, I was going to actually build on it. I was going to say I suppose the hill in this case can be a metaphor. You know, the hill can be uh, stealing yourself before going into a call or a meeting Mm. or or Mm. an interview or reading your emails. If you just smile, it almost, I think, it reframes your um, whole mood and you begin thinking, Mm. okay, well, you know what? It's okay. It's kind of like, it's not a game. That would downplay it a little bit. But at least you can think, okay, it's just one of the things I've got to do. And actually, I think it helps you kind of take a step back into your present moment doesn't it you know by smiling i mean i'm smiling now you can probably hear yeah yeah you can sort of feel a little bit more aware i guess Mm. yeah i i I think it's totally true when you're running and i think it's equally true when you're going up against um you know a difficult conversation perhaps well i will i will raise the stakes here just a little bit let me try this on you mark i uh like my biggest kind of meta level habit that I attempt to kind of find that courage is to ask myself and remind myself about the things that I'm doing right now, how they relate to my mission and to my, my purpose, like why I'm here on this planet. So sometimes we fall adrift and we forget that the, the, the battle that we're fighting is part of a bigger story. We forget that we're kind of trudging through the valley of darkness because on the other side of it is this mountain that we really, really want to climb. And I think that if you're capable of creating a connecting line, a node, a bridge, whatever you want to call it, to I am having this really tough challenge learning this new skill because it will make me a better executive, a better sportsman, a better parent. And even though I have to get up really early to do it and I'm tired and I can't seem to get it and I've got a big deadline, remember that, hey, 
why am I doing this? Why am I here? And I think we often lose track of the relationship between what we're doing today and our dreams of tomorrow. And I think what becomes infinitely easier is to uh, what I call attack the fear or attack the uncertainty. Because once you realize, whether through smiling up the hill or whether you remind yourself of how what you're doing today is part of your vision for yourself and your purpose for tomorrow, I think you can then use this mindset approach of saying, I'm going to go at it. So rather than uh, running away from the challenge, you can attack the challenge. And I have this, uh, I try this thing where when sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't believe that I've got to fix this thing or I've, this thing's really not working, don't uh, allow this dejection to step in. Steal yourself, smile while you run up the hill, remind yourself of why you're doing it and then attack that thing. Don't let it beat you. Make a conscious decision that you are going to dive into it. You're not going to like skirt the corners, skirt the details. You're going to go right at the pimple and you're going to burst that thing. And what's so fascinating that when you make this conscious decision to attack the fear, to attack the uncertainty, almost every single time it's not nearly as bad as you think it is because the feeling of anxiety, I truly believe, comes so much from the unknown and entertaining all the one million and one ways something can go wrong. Many of those aren't even relevant, but because you haven't got into the detail, because you didn't attack the uncertainty, you just don't know. So you're entertaining a million diabolical scenarios when really a lot of those are off the table. It's just that you just don't know because you've been running away from it. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Whenever I find myself particularly anxious, it's often down to the fear of the unknown. How's mm -hmm. going to respond? How a feature or a part of a project is going because I know that I haven't asked the question. And, you know, it's coupled with, with, with trust and delegation and collaboration and so on. But I think the secret all comes down to good communication, you know, in, in, a, in a project perspective, right? So if, if I know, if I fear the, um, if I have an anxiety or a fear of the unknown or a challenge, I think attacking that is exactly the right way to go and do it. And mm. sometimes that's just as simple as picking up the phone, right? I think there's, there's, any, there's any number of potential solutions that actually fundamentally are so simple and not scary. <laughs> I think and all of those, all of those, Mark, come back to this shift in mindset that we keep uh, referring to. And I think what Malcolm Gladwell is offering up in David and Goliath is this shift. And in fact, in this next clip, he's going to really uh, expose the mindset. He's going to take us on a journey of the mindset uh, through the story of David and Goliath. So once again, let's have a little listen to Mr. Malcolm Gladwell. I retell the story of David and Goliath to start the book because if you look at the story closely, everything you think was a disadvantage about David actually isn't. And Goliath is not what he looks like. He looks like this 
indomitable giant. In fact, he probably had a medical condition called acromegaly, which is... So this is sort of a side thing. You're bringing medicine in the Bible, dude. What are you doing? No, 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 it is hilarious because if you, the minute you start digging into these things, you discover these little pockets have been arguing about these things for years. For 50 years, endocrinologists have been arguing about whether Goliath had a tumor on his pituitary gland, and which would explain his height because when you have a tumor in your pituitary gland, it over, you overproduce human growth hormone, and right. you get really, Andre the Giant right. had this condition. Seven foot four, a beast. Seven foot four. Yeah. But one of the side effects is that it can constrict your optic nerves and leave you largely with very, very limited eyesight. So the, the, one of the explanations for why Goliath behaves so strangely and why he doesn't perceive that David is not intending to fight him. I mean, David comes down the mountain and he's got no sword and no armor. He clearly is not intending to fight a sword fight. And Goliath just sits there like he's oblivious. Yeah. Well, the answer is maybe he can only see this far, right? So it changes everything and you realize, wait a minute, the giant is weighed down by 100 pounds of armor and can't see anything. Right. He's like, like this, right? So anyway, I, I do more with that story, but it's all about this trying to get people to take a step back and understand that um, we can give up because we have these, or feel powerless mm -hmm. because we have these um, empty definitions or flawed definitions of advantage. Mm, disadvantages aren't always disadvantages. This mm. poor definition of, um, you know, positivity or positives in a project, you know, it's not always going to be the case. You know, if you, if you think about the Ikea example, or maybe we think about Spielberg or Branson or Churchill, who also had um, dyslexia, the Gladwell calls out in the book, it, the natural inclination would be, oh no, I can't possibly compete with Goliath because look how small I am. Look at my size, speed, whatever. But actually when you remove your kind of predisposition of advantage, disadvantage, it's a lot wider. It's not as black and white as you think, right? That's so, that's so true. And I think what... All of this is creating a bit of a groundswell as we go through all these ideas in Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath. And I think the way we can really pay this off is a really interesting habit. I mean, we're obviously going in this direction of like reframing how you see disadvantage. And um, there's this whole question of like, okay, so what do we need to do? And um, I think um, this next clip that we're going to play is from our friend uh, Brian Johnson at Optimize, isn't it? It is. Yep, correct. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at um, some really practical advice. Before we wrap up the show, let's get super practical to make sure that we can uh, find our inner David when facing Goliath. He shares research on, again, a bunch of stuff. This one test uh, that's challenging, right? You can test college students on it and see how they do and other people, obviously. Um, but the basic idea is it's a challenging test. And the way that the researchers made people better at the test, it's like a logical test, right? Something along the lines of a bat and a ball cost a dollar and 10 cents. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much do each cost? 
That would be an example of a question in this little test, right? Now, that's with other questions challenging. You got to think about it. Paradoxically, when they presented the test in a font that was really hard to read, it was this, this italicized 10% gray font that you had to strain to read. It's kind of like annoyingly hard to read. When you made that hard test a little bit harder, performance went up unbelievably, significantly up, right? Desirable difficulties. You'd never expect that making a hard thing harder would increase performance, but it did. And you can talk about all the reasons why, but the fact that it, it actually worked to the individual's benefit is remarkable. And he uses this in the context of telling stories about individuals who were dyslexic and they had an incredibly hard time reading but they compensated by learning other skills. They learned how to listen really well and how to interact socially in ways they would not have necessarily learned had they been great readers. A disadvantage had an advantage, and there were abs actually desirable difficulties. Now, Gladwell makes the point that not everyone navigates those difficulties uh, well, but those who do are better off as a result of the difficulty than otherwise. Yeah, what Brian Johnson from Optimizer is calling out there is, is again, this reframing of the disadvantages and looking out for desirable difficulties. And I think actually what, what's particularly interesting is when he calls out what Gladwell um, acknowledges in the book, David and Goliath, is that not everybody has the ability or the, um, I suppose, the awareness to do this. And mm. when you've... Um, stepped back or paused and thought about it in your own way and therefore actioned it, will you take advantage of this? So mm. there will be a lot of us who will just see it as a difficulty and never be able to kind of use that as additional fuel to innovate and, and learn from. And mm. Gladwell uh, via Brian Johnson here is saying is those of us who can, those of us who can reframe and, and see those difficulties as desirable are going to see ourselves stepping up into the realm of, you know, the names that were dropped earlier in the, earlier in the episode. Absolutely. That's so true. And I think the good news for all of our listeners and ourselves included is this is a mindset and you have 100% control of how you think. This starts with mindset, knowing that we have a flawed definition of advantage and that in every disadvantage is actually advantage. We heard about this uh, young uh, uh, group of girls playing basketball. We've heard about these stellar, uh, accomplished entrepreneurs. I mean, it starts with mindset. And I think if we have done anything today uh, together on this show is we've exposed how to think about it, how to go about uh, this this course of resistance and knowing that if it's tough, that's good. You're doing the right thing. Just don't give up. Have that courage to keep on going and to pursue your dreams. Because if we do that, um, it's part of a bigger story. And in fact, we've got one final clip mark that brings it home what are we going to listen to? So we're going to listen to Malcolm Gladwell telling us a little bit about all you need is that belief and the 
discipline and the determination to make it happen. So here's Gladwell closing the show for us today, encouraging us to always have faith, courage, but also determination. Nobody who is talking about your book in the mainstream media is mentioning the element. You say that there are three things. It's faith, courage, and determination. Yeah. Nobody's talking about faith. It's, it's an odd thing. I mean, this book began as I just wanted, in the manner of my previous books, to do this kind of, use a lot of social science, work through theories, tell some stories about the fact that disadvantages are often advantageous and advantages can be... But by the end of the book, I realized that what I really wanted to talk about was faith, was about the weapons of the spirit. I have a chapter where I talk about this little town in the mountains of France. That during this, it was a bunch of Huguenots, a dissident Protestant sect in a very Catholic country up in the mountains. During the Second World War, they decided they were going to let, they were going to harbor any Jewish refugees that came to their door. And they, Jewish refugees came by the thousands. They took them in and they told the Nazis... We're taking them in. If you want to come and get them, we're not going to give them to you. We don't care what you do to us. It's this extraordinary story. And, I, and if you read into it, they had nothing. They had no resources, no weapons. They refused to lie. They, so they weren't using deceit. Mm-hmm. All they had was their faith. And that was enough. They felt that their faith was every bit the match for whatever the Nazis threw at them. And I, you cannot read, I don't care if you are the most dyed-in-the-wool atheist, you cannot read that story and not come away with a uh, renewed appreciation for the power that faith gives people. Believe in something. I mean, this is where it all really kind of ends up, this idea of David and Goliath, because yes, as we talked about, there are a ton of mental models, there are a ton of very clinical and logical steps that you can have in your mindset. But the fuel for your fire, the thing that will help you be resilient, the thing that will help you uh, embrace adversity to lean into desirable difficulties, uh, to move to Poland in the middle of the uh, the Cold War, uh, <laughs> is if you really believe in something. Well, you can call it faith or whatever. Believe in your purpose, in yourself and the people around you and put your best foot forward, even in the face of uncertainty. That truly is what faith looks like in in the modern world. And I think that is such an apt uh, bookend, if you should say that, not only to this show about David and Goliath, but to the entire Malcolm Gladwell series. I think that was a rather tasty thought from Malcolm himself. I, I couldn't agree more. Tipping point to Blink, to Outliers, to David and Goliath, I'd say that belief, personal awareness, reframing certain mindsets, these are the key lessons and takeaways that I'm getting from Malcolm Gladwell's work. Mm. And it's, it's pretty inspiring. It's very, very relatable challenges that he calls out, but each of them is so actionable that we can just begin working on straight away. Yep, I I absolutely agree. And I I think this has been one of the most exciting, dense uh, series that we've had. This is right up there with Adam Grant and Simon Sinek. I mean, Gladwell, I've got a renewed respect for this man. I'm a big fan. I've really, really enjoyed him. The listeners, you guys will probably know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the James Clear 
um, as well as the Adam Grant mm, mm. episodes. But it's I think Gladwell he's he's up there for me for sure. Mm, <laughs> mm. Well, Mark, uh, a gr- another great uh, uh, series. Uh, it feels like it's it's really. Um, had quite uh, the effect on you, hasn't it? Do you, do you think any series has really spoken to you like this one? No, I, I, I think this one has been particularly um, empowering, actually. It's, it's approachable. It's, there's a lot of great lessons that are quite, mm. um, dare I say, easy to, to grasp, um, not to downplay the quality of it at all. Um, it, mm. it, he's talent as a journalist is to explain it in ways that are, are, are great to grasp. I think the series as a whole has been really, really powerful. And our Gladwell month has been, has been um, incredibly illuminating. It has, hasn't it? It has, hasn't it? Now, we would love to hear, it's obviously been uh, incredibly powerful for you, but who else would we like to hear from? Who else would we like feedback on this Malcolm Gladwell series? I'd love to hear from... Those those third parties, Mike, who who tune in mm. every week to hear mm-hmm. us learning out loud. It's you, listeners. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear any innovators, any any um, authors, um, sportsmen, um, any individuals that you'd like us to to dig into and and learn out loud from. Drop us a a rating, a review in your app store of choice. Go and visit us at moonshot.io. Mm-hmm. Or even drop us a note, drop us an email at hello at moonshots.com and we'll make sure to get hold and and reply to you. We can't wait to hear from you. So there you have it. Um, Another series is in the bag, Mark. Thank you so much uh, to you. Um, But if you thought for just a moment uh, that uh, the challenges were complete, we're going to hear from uh, David Goggins in our next episode, who's an ultra runner, triathlete. He was a Navy SEAL. He has an amazing story. And I tell you what, if anyone could bring a little bit of uh, inspiration and energy to our show, wait till you hear David Goggins. It's going to be an epic one. So it'll be a fabulous twist and turn in the moonshot story. So I hope you've got your high intensity interval training ready, Mark, because it's going to be a, it's going to be a workout the next show. (laughs) I'm excited. It's going to be a fun, I wonder what lessons we can take from Gladwell and, um, Mm. via David Goggins. That's going to be great. Yeah. No, that's going to be fantastic. All right, Mark, thank you. Thank you to you for joining me on this journey. And most importantly, thank to, thank you to you, all our listeners who are tuning in from all over the world, from Mexico all the way to Romania, to Bulgaria, from Latvia to Taiwan. We welcome all of the new listeners that keep on joining us every single week. Uh, I can see Brazil and Russia. We've got a ton of listeners there. We welcome all of you to this journey and none better than Malcolm Gladwell can really surmise the Moonshots philosophy, which is all about resilience and not giving up and when tough things come your way say yes please so go out there and really 
really fight for what you believe in, make your vision come true and look for those desirable difficulties because they will only make you stronger. So if this is an invitation to all of you to go out and find your inner David, to go and fight your Goliath. And the key secret to success will not only be resilience, but it will be the power for you to find the faith to believe in something. And we hope that you found the faith in yourself listening to the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap.